every first day of a Kickstarter campaign, when people come back and I see names that I recognize, uh, that's pretty close to the best feeling you can get. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes, not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, episode 36. I've got a great episode lined up today. We have a guest who's talking about how Kickstarter is a great way to not only release your books, but also to build your audience. My guest today is a comic book writer who's carved out quite a name and following for himself over the course of 10 Kickstarter campaigns. His book, Tart, features a band of time-traveling demon slayers and was recently picked up to be published by Scout Comics. The latest installment of Tart, issues 11 and 12, are live on Kickstarter through November 27th. You can support Tart by visiting kickstarter.com and typing Tart into the search field, or just click our link in the show note and descriptions below. I'd like to introduce my friend, Kevin Joseph. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. First thing I'm going to ask you, like I ask all my guests, tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you and how did you get to be with us here today? Uh, As you said, my name is Kevin Joseph. I am a writer. I've kind of been one of those people who wrote in my free time my entire life and got a chance to do a comic with an artist uh, named Ludwig Saleh. And uh, we came up with a time traveling demon hunter series, Tart which is based around a concept he had of a character named Hell Strawberry who bounced around the entirety of time and space and just goes about mucking stuff up for the entire demon world around history. And uh, he came up to me through a friend and said, I've written myself into a corner. What do you think uh, we could do here? And I kind of looked at the concept and I looked at, at what he was doing. And mostly I looked at his beautiful art and I said, I Okay, I can't quite work in this vein, but I think we can take some of these things out of out of your tool shed and we can work it together. And we sort of reimagined what he was already doing with Tart. And what made you start writing comics? I have little by little written short stories, movie scripts, screenplays, uh, whatever, whatever I could do on a Friday night for two hours. I just sit and write comedic essays, etc. At one point, I just had this idea for for a story that's still out there. And it's, you know, um, it's it's way, way too big to even contemplate doing even now. But I was I was finagling that and I got an email saying, I've read one of your screenplays. I've seen this guy's art. I think you two might mesh. And uh, once I saw his art, I said, I, I need to be a comic writer because 
I could probably come up with two to four thousand dollars to print some comics. I cannot come up with four hundred thousand dollars to make this screenplay I've written into a movie. So it was kind of a market based uh, imperative. And you kind of said you had written stuff before, uh, but then moved and uh, swayed into comics. Yeah, we I have. Uh, Two completely finished uh, screenplays in a drawer and was very proud of them. And, and what we found is even when we met people who could read it and possibly show it to people, they would not read it for legal reasons. And I was kind of like, well, it was fun to do. I, I, I loved the experience of writing that, but I kind of want to share my stories. So I looked at a, another way to get the stories out. And as I've gotten into independent independent comics, it's the best way. You can put it out, you know, on the web for free. You can, you can kickstart, of course, um, you know, crowdfund in any way, Patreon, if, if that's your bag. It's, it's kind of the way to get a story inside your head out to an audience right now. And of course, the reason you're here, Kevin, uh, you have Tart, which is live on Kickstarter right now. Tart's probably this Tart is the series that you're most well known for. So let's talk about Tart. What's the quick pitch for it? And tell us about the series. Okay, Tart is a time-traveling demon hunter. She wakes up at the beginning of each adventure without any idea where she is or when in time she is. But she does know that it's up to her to stop a demon who's causing trouble. Basically, for fans of Doctor Who, Buffy, we've got Sandman rolled in there for flavor. We, we, don't, uh, we don't shy away from our influences. They shout out the page, so we're not going to pretend that they're not there. And we covered it a little bit, uh, saying that uh, your artist had his... Uh Oh, what was it? Strawberry. Hell Strawberry. Uh, Hell yes. Strawberry. Yes. That it kind of was on the uh, on the shoulders of Hell Strawberry. But what else was the initial inspiration for Tart? You know, for for uh, for Ludo, I do really believe that he, his inspirations were a lot of on the anime side and Doctor Who with the time travel. Once I started working on it, I kind of pulled my lifelong love affair with Chris Claremont and uh, pulled his his Kitty Pride and Rogue and Storm all have some inspiration on some of the characters in the book. One of the ones, the, the inspiration that I didn't realize till I was rereading it a couple years later, I was watching a ton of burn notice at the time. And I didn't even realize it, but Tart narrates her adventures in the same way that Michael did on Bird Notice. So the one inspiration that I didn't realize was there, which might even be the biggest inspiration, is, you know, USA uh, uh, premiere detective show Bird Notice, which is a surprise even to the writer. Uh, I wanted to ask you, since uh, you talked about your screenplays that you have kind of sitting away, tucked away for uh, later use, hopefully, are those screenplays anything like this Tart concept? Uh, no, no, they are definitely full bore comedies out of the minds of three late 20s and mid 30s dudes. Um, the only thing I would say is we do allow them to fall into the fantasy genre, but it's a very hidden um, uh, type of a, a feeling. So it's it, they present themselves as regular old, um, you know, Kevin Smith penis and fart joke comedies, but there is a fantasy underpinning to them um, if we ever do get to put those out. As a writer, just uh, I know the stuff that I did, you know, back in. 2015, 2014, when I was just starting out. Um, I, yeah, there, there is one worry. I'm quite certain that the second script we did does not pass the Bechdel test. So I would, uh, now that I know that that is a thing, I think I might um, go in and make sure that it does. Um, so yeah, no, we, we weren't 
We weren't, honestly, it's been five years and I've learned so much that I would probably change many, many things about it. I still think a, a, a good raunchy comedy is worth watching, but I would probably look into it to make sure it was raunchy without being exploitative, which who knows? There are probably things in there that I would look at now and go, oh, no, I can't have my name on that. And uh, with Tart now, it's uh, issues 11 and 12 that are up on Kickstarter, right? Yes, sir. Yes. We do, we're doing issues 11 and 12. We ended up getting both of them ready at the same time. And they go together quite nicely because issue 11 is a heist feel. Our girls have to sneak in quietly and get in and around um, Nazi Germany, the Berlin Olympics in 1936. They have a task they have to pull off, but they don't want they don't want any fighting on this test. They just want to get in and get out. And issue 12 is a full bore. Every single one of our characters has to go fight an entire army of demons and one devil prince who's on his way to Earth. So I thought it was really nice to have a nice, quiet story and then a nice bombastic, huge battle going out at once so that you, you get a little bit of everything with this this exact launch. Yeah. And I was just wanted to say being at 11, being at issue 12, there's not a lot of independent creators who make it that far. It's really a a lot to do with our Kickstarter supporters. Uh, They kind of have come to us whenever we have said, hey, we're ready and we we we're ready to do this one. They come out and it's not just the money. I mean, financially, it allows us to pay the artists and it, it allows us to go to conventions and get the word out. But it's really the the passion of the 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 audience that makes us want to do the next one. It's it's a fulfillment on the financial side. Absolutely. And that's necessary. But it's also literally the thing that gets us up when when you know we're not this isn't our money job. We have to do this in our free time. And it's kind of like, you know what? Yeah, I do have the energy to write today because I know there's 300, 400 people out there that are waiting and I want to make them happy. Yeah. One myth about Kickstarter for independent creators, people see numbers coming up. They, you know, right now, uh, I want to say Tart is at just about under eight thousand uh, dollars right now. That doesn't mean you have eight thousand dollars in your pocket. I love where, what we've done. I am very, very happy with our Kickstarter success and I do not want to poo poo it in any way. But it certainly it, every bit of every penny that comes in over what we spent to make the product is going into the next product. So there's no actual profit right now. And I'm quite okay with that. As long as we can tread water until we get the series over, because that is our goal. Our goal is to be able to hand out, let's say, issue 27, which is our outline. And if issue 27 is the end of our series and we can hand it out, I'll worry about making a profit on it in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Right now, it's just how can I pay Ludo to draw these pages so that he's not having to give up food or lodging in order to do it? You know, so no, there's there's no profit in Kickstarter yet for me and maybe it will come. But it's all about just getting the next issue done. And that's that's all I care about. And let's talk about this Kickstarter that you have running right now. Um, it's running through November 27th. Uh, for anyone wanting to check it out, you can go look at it at uh, kickstarter.com type in tart it's going to be the first thing that pops up tart's been very successful on kickstarter this is your 10th campaign on the platform and this one funded in like 24 hours yes we um we we just we have a really passionate group of people that come back um campaign after campaign and 
Uh, it is it is just extraordinarily humbling to know that, that we, we keep bringing people back with the stories. The great thing is they're so passionate that they've allowed us to print huge runs. Well, huge on an independent run, you know, 1,500, 2,000. <laughs> I know that that's not huge in, in, in regular comics, but for us, it, it allows us to have a catch up tier where you can basically get all 12 issues as first editions. I've still got like 200 of the soft covers from our very first Kickstarter. So I don't have to charge exorbitant prices for somebody to catch up. You can get all 12 comics for $65. Whereas if I was having to reprint the trade paperback now, that catch up tier would probably cost you 100, 125. And that's all because of people who kickstarted as years ago. And it's, I mean, it, without Kickstarter, we there probably would not be a Tart 12. All I can say is I appreciate the platform, but more importantly, I appreciate that community. And also, I think it was partly because of that platform. Uh, but another just notch in Tart's belt is that it was recently picked up by Scout Comics for a retail release. Yeah, we are we are so thankful and excited about being with Scout Comics, especially as they kind of just blew up after the fact. You, you know, I mean, we we knew the people that were running it uh, were good, passionate, fun people. And we kind of thought, let's let's hop in and, and let's see how it goes. And nothing but amazing things have happened every month after the fact for Scout Comics. You know, they've got they've got some really amazing titles out there. I, 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 I would have never in my life picked up. I don't know if you picked up Yasmin by them. Um, it is an, it's about an Iraqi uh, young Iraqi woman who got stuck there um, after after the Iraq war and her family got to the States. And it is one of the most extraordinary pieces of you know fiction about a true fact that I've read since Mouse. It is absolutely incredible. And I'm like, I didn't even know I was joining up with that. I thought I was joining up with a great young comic company. And here they've got a book that I think should be up for Eisner's. And I'm not even saying it's my book, <laughs> but I'm certainly proud to be with that level of quality. I have picked up Yasmin. I regret to say I've heard great things about it, but it's sitting, it's in my pile of to read that I just haven't gotten to yet. It's a, it's not a fun read, but it's an amazing read. Well, uh, let's talk about that a little bit more with Scout Comics. Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did that work out? You know, it, it's probably best to be said as a mutual outreach in that the president of Scout Comics is a gentleman by the name of James Hake. And he is a Floridian like myself. Uh, we had never met, but a high school friend went to UCF with James and this high school friend is watching his Facebook feed and he's seeing this high, you know, high, that kid Kevin from high school keeps talking about his comic and James from college keeps talking about his comic and he introduced us. So long before Solar Flare or James had anything to do with Scout Comics, we got together, we realized we were doing the same thing, looked at each other's books and said, oh, this is, you know, I liked his books, his he liked my book. He eventually made um, Inroads with Scout and, he's, and he said, hey, would you have any interest and I looked at what Scout was doing and I said, I, I'd love to. It was one of those instances where we had met before Scout was anything, you know, like a, a glimmer in your father's eye. And uh, he brought the books in and, you know, he showed it to the people that make the decisions. And luckily we got enough. I don't, I don't know what the vote was, but we had got enough to get invited in. And that's really all that matters. Well, let's talk a little bit about your writing process. Uh, let's say you're sitting down, you're getting ready to write your next uh, story arc or your next issue. Talk us briefly through how you get from the initial ideas to the finished script. Okay. 
Um, when Ludo and I did um, decide to work together, I had sent him a, a, on a basically an audition script. And that audition script is basically tart number one with a few additions. We wanted it to be a, a big series. It was probably a mistake. And if I was doing comic books now, it would have been a three issue limited series. But at the time, I thought that the only way to get noticed was to have a large 40 some issue Sandman style, why the last man style outline. So that's what we did. We, we thought about our world. We, we thought about who these characters are, what they were fighting, fighting and why we were telling the story. We created a large, large outline, which, yes, is a mistake. And no independent writer starting out should do it. Please just write a five page short and failing that a one shot and failing that a three issue limited. Do not do this. But I did it. We're into it. We have this series. So what I do is I take out the outline and I see where we are. I say, okay, the goal of this issue is A, B, and C. The setting is one, two, and three. And um, so now I've got I've got basically the log line for the issue. And I number 24 pages and I just start drawing the ugliest stick figures you've ever seen, including with like arrow that says tart. So I knew which stick figure is tart. And I just draw out what I believe the issue should look like. This allows me, because I'm newer to, to writing, to really know how much space I'm filling up. If I'm up at page 16 and I haven't even gotten out of the uh, first you know, the, the introduction of the story, I know I've got to start over and take up a lot less real estate. But as long as I hit that 18 to 24 page and I feel like I'm giving a value, I, I've got I've got the issue. I take my terrible, terrible drawings and I type up what they should should look like. And I never show anyone those those thumbnails ever again because it's embarrassing. And then Ludo and I talk about what he likes and hates. And we just make our changes and come to come together to make a comic. That's beautiful because that's actually almost exactly how I write too. I take a page and I just start drawing out like I were to draw it, but my artwork's horrible. So I will eventually translate that to there. Uh, one benefit of it too, is I think it lets you uh, see a page. And the way that I do is, is I'll actually chop one like notebook page into quarters. Uh, so that okay. way I can see four pages at once. And it helps me to at least to see, okay, well, this will be the, page flip so that's the big reveal and this will be uh this but then also too about um how you said hey start small which is some of the most given advice out there and the same thing with you you said hey i have a big story to tell don't please don't do that i do the exact same thing uh because i started out with an eight issue miniseries and uh, or an eight issue maxi series and i would say hey unless you have money that you are it's burning your a hole in your pocket and you want to spend it do not do that yeah and, and it's just you know i think that i i grew up seeing you know the the vertigo style series and the the uh image style series that that i love to read i i love these big expansive series that have a definitive end you know i i, I like that i like to be able to spend a long time with characters, but also feel like I'm not being just, it isn't being dragged on just because there's still people buying the comic book. You know, I could, I could name one series that left me, but I, let's go with the positivity. I, I love, I love things like Sandman. I, I like these little things that he, he comes up with where I can go back in the world for eight pages, but I also feel like he told a story and he finished and, and I'll always have that. Whereas you know, when Spider-Man is rebooted in a way you don't like, it's almost like you've lost Spider-Man. With the next issues of Tart, what are you excited about? I am very excited for you, for our readers to see what Ludo did with his style. We have had 
now 12 issues done and we've only had one guest artist. Uh, Carl Moline came in for issue six and helped us uh, finish a story when, when Ludo couldn't because of other work commitments. But we've had about 11 different artistic styles in our book because Ludo is so versatile. But we have a story. We have the story that I alluded to where they go back to 1936 Berlin. And, but it starts in our toxic uh, garden, which is a very lush, uh, beautiful area that they kind of hide in time from the demons. And so Ludo draws that totally normal. But when they get to the 36 Berlin Olympics, he takes almost all color out. It's mostly grays, browns, a little bit of orange and a little bit of red based on the girl's hair. But other than that, there's almost it's almost monochromatic. And it's just this beautiful changing of the style within the book, even though it's the same artist. And in fact, I had a reviewer ask me if there were two artists on the book and it, no, it's, it's just Ludo flexing his muscles. And that's what I'm really excited for because we come back to 12 and any, because it's a big bombastic demon fight, it's a totally new style of art. And I, I just love seeing him give the audience different tones and different ways to see the book based on the tones and the time periods that we're, we are uh, setting our stories. Where we're sitting now, Tarts issues 11 and 12, uh, you're fully funded in 24 hours. Uh, like I said before, you're just under $8,000 out of your $4,000 goal. What does the future hold for Kevin Joseph and Tart? Well, the, basically, we're going to finish it with issue 12. We finish what um, Scout Comics considers the second season of Tart. Basically, I, I want to let everybody know we'd love you on this Kickstarter. We'd, we'd absolutely would adore you on the Kickstarter. If um, right now paying shipping to get books is a little bit out of out of anybody's uh, range, they can wait till 2021 and they can go to their local comic shop and they can get these issues. Uh, we don't know exactly which dates, but we're going to collect. Uh, looks like we're going to collect some of the issues into three graphic novels that will come out in 2021. So if you have a little bit of patience, you can watch scoutcomics.com and you can get them at your local comic shop. If you want them right now, you can go on the Kickstarter. It's it's whatever's good for you to read our book. I just want you to read the book and I don't care how you get it through my Kickstarter, through Scout Comics, however you do it, I, I'm good. Yeah, I always feel the same way. Uh, right now I'm running an Indiegogo campaign for Kinetic and nice. I, don't, I don't care if you get it on Kickstarter or if you get it on this second chance Indiegogo campaign or if you get it later on when it comes out on my website or if you find it in your local store. As long as as long as you read it and well, hopefully like the story. I'm happy. Yeah, we've got we've got some issues on gumroad.com. Basically, we put them up during the pandemic so you can buy them. You can read them at your own cost. So you can even look at look at them for free. That link's actually on the Kickstarter page. And yeah, my theory is if you pay for them, then you don't have to read them at all. That's that's up to you. If you get them for free, you got to read them. And then and then and then we're, we're even. Kevin, what have been the biggest obstacles or challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? I'd probably go back to literally not understanding how the business of comics work when I started. Uh, basically, the first four years, it was making every mistake we could make so that we could hopefully learn from them and not make them again. The biggest of which was, you know, creating a, a 42 page maxi series outline as opposed to a one shot that could lead into further one shots later on, depending on if we were successful. One of the things Ludo and I never really talked about because neither of us knew, 
I did not know that French comic books are usually one 42 page book a year. And he didn't know that American comic books are usually 12, 18 to 22 page comics a year. So when we agreed to do this in his head, we'll do like 42 page comic a year. And I was thinking we'll do 10 comics a year. And we were working together for a good year and a half before we had that conversation. So I I really, that was a huge mistake that is really funny in hindsight, but 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 led to quite a bit of frustration on both our sides because neither of us could understand why the other one's schedule was so different. But we're, we're past it now. We've decided if we can do four comics a year, that is our goal. That is something that I just learned. So in France, it basically one season is like one book a year that's, you know, exercise 42 pages. Right. Yeah. And it's like it's like a very special, really worked on graphic novel once a year. Even if you're continuing your story, you kind of like like, you know, Snowpiercer chapter one will come out one year and then Snowpiercer chapter two, the next. It's great for quality. There's you know, there's it's kind of like a Netflix series. You know, if you got a year to make eight episodes, it's probably going to be better than if you have six months to make 26. But um, you also have to know what your audience is looking for. So we're doing our best. Our, our, our idea is just to get the train rolling. We're not worrying about speed. We want to keep our quality, but we definitely are trying to move in more of a rhythm than we have at times. What do you feel has been your biggest mistake creatively? Oh, wow. Biggest mistake creatively. In college, my first English class was mostly creative writing and I was so into it and just put my entire heart and energy and almost all of my time into it. And because I didn't write the way that teacher liked it, I ended up with a C. And uh, I thought to myself, wow, you put all of this time into this. It's creative writing. It's what you want to do. And you've got a C. I guess you're not a writer. And so I kind of stopped for four years of college dabbled, but the things that I dabbled was more like essay writing. So I probably took 10 years away from my writing because one teacher didn't like the way I wrote, not not necessarily any of my classmates who said they liked the stories. And I just, I allowed one one person to take away my joy and my confidence. So I would really love those 10 years back. So I think that is my biggest creative uh, mistake was allowing one person to derail me. Well, on the flip side of that coin, Kevin, what's been your best moment? I would say almost every first day of a Kickstarter campaign, when people come back and I see names that I recognize, uh, that's pretty close to the best feeling you can get. Because when you haven't met somebody who lives in New Zealand, let's say, and they come back again and again and again, and you you start to recognize a name, even though you don't know what they look like, you know their name based on it. That That's probably the best feeling that I've gotten each time we do a Kickstarter. And it might be part of the, the serotonin release or that, that brings us back. Just like I said, it's not just the money, it's the, you know, oh, all right, this person still likes the book, which is awesome because we're not trying to always tell the same story issue to issue, which is a really good way to make sure your audience is happy with you is to give them what, what they're looking for. And we try to give them within reason what they're looking for, but we also try to surprise them often enough that they don't know what they're looking for. It was pretty neat when the comic that I wrote, uh, the silent comic I wrote called Morte with uh, David Bishop on art. It was uh, published by SourcePoint Press. 
when that was a diamond previous staff pick, that was probably one of the cooler moments in the com for me in the comics, because it was, it would have, it was noticed by somebody out there as quality. So both of those, you know, our, our backers coming back and the staff pick, you know, I've got the previous book and every, you know, year or two, I'll look at it and go, yeah, I did that. That was pretty cool. My joke is my favorite backers are my returning backers, except my favorite bar- backers are my first time backers, so, which is, I guess it means my favorite backers are any backer, but I get this a different joy for both. It's just a lot of joy because being able to say here, here's our world, enjoy it for the first time. That's lovely. But being able to say, oh, good, here's the next chapter for you. And without you, this next chapter probably wouldn't exist. It, it, it's pretty cool as well. Starting out, what was the best advice that you received? One of the best pieces of advice I got when when I was trying to figure out whether I would crowdfund uh, Tart to do the first trade paperback, I was certainly afraid of failure. I didn't know if I had a big enough audience to fund a $3,000 campaign. You know, I thought the book was good, but I didn't know if strangers would come for it. And I talked to um, uh, my buddy Juan at Creature Tank. We were at a, you know, I think Supercon down here. And I told him I was thinking about it. I was a little afraid. And he said, the absolute worst thing a Kickstarter campaign can be is one month of free advertisement. And I thought about it and I went, yeah. Okay, I can do this now. This isn't success or failure. This is advertising with the chance to bring in funds. And then all of a sudden, there's still a fear of kind of stubbing your toe publicly. But I wasn't afraid of that if I failed that I'd never be able to make a comic book again. I thought, okay, yes, if it doesn't work out, we'll learn from this and we'll come back stronger. So that was the best advice for me because it got me off my butt got me on Kickstarter and and basically the book exists because of that advice. Kevin, thank you so again so much for coming on and talking with me. Uh, everyone listening, Tart is live on Kickstarter. It's going now through November 27th. You can support Tart and Kevin by going to kickstarter.com and looking up Tart in their search field. It'll pop right up. Kevin, where else can we find you online? I'm most active on Twitter. So if you look up Kevin Joseph CMX on Twitter, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to talk comics with you, my comics, any comics. Um, you can find our Facebook page is facebook.com slash tart official. And we have an Instagram page that is, uh, I believe it's Kevin Joseph CMX as well. I'm not great on uh, Instagram, but, uh, you know, if you want to talk to me, hit, find me up, find me on Twitter. I think that's the best way. Kevin, thank you again for coming on and talking with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing me on. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.